The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. The House Show. For over 51 weeks, the revolutionary force in retro sports entertainment podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, the Retro Network and the House Show podcast proudly presents to you this look at the decade of decadence. A little indulgence for your day, as we bring Saturday night to whenever you damn well please. So let's welcome to the stage your trio's tag team champions. The Master Library, Kevin, it's Tricky Hellions. The Educator of Access. And Sweet Maddie Treats. As they bring to you Saturday night's main event. The House Show Podcast Way. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of The House Show. It is me, as always, Mr. Maddie Treats, and I am joined by my trio's tag team partners. To my left is none other than the educator of excellence. Educator, how's it going? Better than it could be. Um, I, I at least have the MRI scheduled for uh, figuring out what's wrong with the knee. Problem is the MRI is scheduled for uh, April 5th of my winter or of my spring break, so... We're going to be hobbling around for a few more weeks, uh, you know, powering through and hoping uh, something significantly is not wrong with my knee. But, hey, we'll do what we can and uh, power through, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think the um, the hospital systems have been overwhelmed for a little bit over the last few bits. So must be trying some, to fit something, everything. Something's going on that must be yeah. really putting a kind of burden and a hardship on them. So, so trying fine. to fit everything in has yeah. probably been <laughs> tough with the rescheduling of everything. Um but uh, I'm glad that you actually have an appointment now in, in your setup. So uh, so we, th- we thank you for that. <laughs> we were worried for you. So, um, But anyways, to our right, Mr. Kevin Hellions, the masked library himself. Kevin, how's it going? Uh, it's going good. Certain legislation got signed that someone added stuff to. So a little bit here, I'll feel more, conf- more confident doing my taxes. Oh, yes, yes. Is uh, Erwin R. Scheister coming for you this Not year? Anymore. Not? Not anymore. Not anymore. Did they add that tax <laughs> they thing? Added or ten, ta- yep, 10200 forgiveness. I think once they realize that, hey, current estimate is 40% of people didn't have this taken out, could be even more, that's 40% of people that probably thought they were going to have tax money, you know, some sort of refund or whatever that they were then going to spend and get money going in the economy, and instead they'd have to pay in, and they thought huh, we're going to make more money if we just forgive this and people can spend their refunds than if they got to pay this in. So let's just waive it. That's my thought. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of makes sense. So, uh, uh, guys, we we do have to talk about something, though. Uh, We got to talk about the peacock in the room here. Yeah. Uh, I I did bring it up with Crone Meltzer. Um, What are we going to do when our podcast gets canceled by the WWE Network (laughs) here in a couple weeks? I don't know, man. Um, there's that's. I mean, there's always that fingers crossed chance hope that Saturday Night's Man event will be one of the first groups of episodes to get pushed over. 
Um, I would like to think maybe it will because of the fact it was like an NBC brand. <laughs> exactly, you know? NBC Universal you property. Know? You would think that would be one of the staples that gets pushed over first, but it might not. And then all of a sudden our access to our content for our current seasons kind of uh, literally up in the ropes. So ideas, gentlemen, what are you thinking? I'm Okay, I have a couple ideas. One, um, Heroes of Wrestling. Could revisit that show. Uh, two, but that's just a one. That's a, that's how a one I said I have ideas, plural. Oh, plural. oh okay. 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 Um, I haven't found it on a streaming service yet, so I got to check like YouTube and Daily Motion or whatever. But I thought we'd do a weekly breakdown of all episodes of the classic sitcom Learning the Ropes. That would be cool. I would be very. <laughs> See, I thought you were going to scrap all over that. I did. So no, like, absolutely not. <laughs> just some of the guys that are out of character. That would be great. Um, and then, of course, the education gimmick and him being a mass wrestler and teacher. I think that'd be cool. Absolutely. I worked myself into a shoot there. You did, baby. I'm all did over. Did you just assign at odds homework on our show? What was, is that all your ideas, Kevin? Um, yeah, yeah, because now I'm worried that I will give another terrible idea and all of a sudden we're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> the educator said, let's do it. Yeah. Oh, geez, Louise. Um, yeah, we will figure this out, guys. Uh, you know, we've been having discussions trying to figure <sighs> who would have thought our one year anniversary is coming up and the WWE's, WWE Network's crushing the competition. We're taking away from them. And uh, Ooh, how about I don't know how many there were because we got a couple weeks here, you know, that we'll be evaluating it. But um, how many of the WWE Diva DVDs were there? I'm sure those hold up well years later and there's nothing we would find wrong on there at all. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure they're really good. Um, uh, Kevin, I mean, I know you have three copies of Wrestling Vixens that you can lend to myself and the educator. Mm-hmm, so. mm-hmm. Some of the some of the uh, not so good XPW ones either. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, in all, in all seriousness, no. I mean, uh, this may turn into a Lucha Underground podcast because I know that's on 2 by TV. So Is it what do you by, think? I call it Tubby TV. Cause that's what I, I just sit there and watch it all day and eat snacks. I think it's supposed to be 2 by but it's two by. maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Um, yeah. So if anyone has suggestions out there for us, let us know. Um, I think I'm leaning one way. I don't want to show my hand just yet. Because we're going to figure it out as we go. Obviously, we'll give you the heads up. Hopefully, you're watching these shows with us as we as we do it. Um, that was kind of our whole you know thing. We're going to try to keep it in the retro realm as well. So, No more uh, production meetings. We'll just call it in the ring as we go. It. Yeah, that's all <laughs> we can do. I mean, that's really all we can do. Um, educator, did you have any any kind of suggestions did you, did you think of? Um, you know... Growing up, Saturday mornings, I I know a part of my childhood, I remember watching a two-hour block or a three-hour block of TV that involved roller on the WPIX station, roller games, and then, like, for whatever reason, gorgeous ladies are wrestling. So maybe we can find somewhere on YouTube like episodes that we could just go through, take a peek at those. Um, I don't know. We can always look at episodes, all American wrestling challenge, primetime stuff. That's YouTube available that maybe maybe we'll be able to find access to. 
Um, who knows? I like the idea. I like the idea of, of watching roller derby. Oh, dude, roller games was fantastic. The Gator Pit. Their, if it was the Gator Pit. The if there was a yeah. tie, somewhere in my archives, I have yeah. the first and I believe only issue of Roller Games magazine. It's impressive, Kevin. Out of all the magazines, you kept Roller Games. Well, the other ones were worth more money, and I sold them. Oh, okay. that's a that's a that's a big story, actually. I'll tell you guys off air. Oh, good. Can't wait to hear about that. Um, it involves the smut. I remember, um, Kevin. Mm-hmm. Speaking of smut, let's tell a story about my scoundrel brother. Oh, okay. Um, and you're familiar with this because you're one of the central characters in the story, Mr. No. Mr. Hellions. Uh, so, uh, growing up, uh, of course, if you wanted to watch smut or adult films, you actually had to have them on VHS. You can't just use your phone or go online or do anything like that. You had to have the actual things. Uh, I remember my brother found my father's adult film stash and decided to sell them on the school bus. <laughs> now, Kevin, do you remember who his number one customer was for, for these for said films? Jeez, oh, I mean, I, I, the high school was so long ago. And uh, your brother and I were only in the same high school for a year just because of our age difference. I'm, but, I mean... God, I'm really not sure. I'd have to remember it, that far back. I think his his initials. No, no, his name was Kevin D. No, that might be too obvious. I think it was K Decent. We'll do that. Um, was one of the people that bought these. Um, and I remember my mother getting very mad at both my father and my brother <laughs> because my brother stole what was my father's, and my father's was bringing that smut into the household. I don't remember. I, I, I recall where I got most of them. I don't remember any of that I got from your brother. Yeah, sure. Play it off, Kevin. And if you're listening, Mom, happy birthday. <laughs> so, it is her birthday today, as we record. I thought maybe you were going to say Dave Hellions was mine along. <laughs> you know what? It may have been Dave Hellions. <laughs> I, I, you know, I do remember. Well, maybe. I did have a, a bit there where I was buying up people's collections of things. Of adult magazines adult films well it it started out as like comics and and 80s toys and grew into other things now question kevin because you do a lot of dead media is there a um is there a market for for previously viewed uh adult films or or magazines i mean playboys are probably pretty still prominent right so apparently i'm not telling the story off the air I mean, I can edit it out if you're no, uncomfortable no, with it, fine. but I mean, for 17 listeners out there, let's spill the beans. All right. So a few years ago, um, place I was working at closed up. I had not yet found another job. And I was going around on the weekends because I was playing on weekdays. But on the weekends, I was going to yard sales and trying to find stuff to flip and everything to get some money going. So we had, you know, some money going on eBay to pay some bills and everything, but nothing to really survive off of just to be like, okay. And I go to one and there are two huge totes, like, the, you know, giant totes that you'd use for storage um, in the yard sale area and nothing mentioned about it or whatever. I'm like, well, that's weird. So I open one up and it is filled with porn mags. Both of them are. <laughs> At a yard it, sale? Huh? Yard sale. Yard sale. Okay. And I'm like, what in the... So I start looking, and these aren't, like, Playboy 
these are like the smuttiest of the smut. <laughs> and I go, huh, talk about something people would randomly throw out. I'll guarantee you that there's like, you know, famous porn star in here, or, you know, something like that or something that was controversial. And like, I could probably make some money off of this. So I go, guy, I was like, how much if I got all of it? Because clearly you're trying to pretend this isn't here, but it is here, you know? He goes, what are you going to do with them? Are you going to resell them? I was like, I'm going to try. <laughs> and I, I just, I had a read for the guy. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's exactly why he bombed too. He goes, yeah, that's what I was going to do with them too. And then I was too embarrassed to do anything with them. He goes, honestly, I'm sick of looking, I'm sick of them being here. 20 bucks. All right. So I, Declan was an infant. So he wasn't exploring anything. I'm in my was living with me room. As a garage sailing and I bought porn. Uh, yeah, sorry. Uh, so I, I put my... the box of porn next to my son's car seat. No, no, I put it in the trunk. I really hope you got pulled over at some point. In my living room, I spread out Tihi, all of them, so I could have like everything from every title together and all organize them like I do my comics. And then I started listing them as locked. Did you get, did you, uh, did you get the variant covers? <laughs> okay. Put everything out there and all. And I start listing them. I will, I know, put like three together, put it up for like 10 bucks, whatever the shipping cost was at the time. And I was like, let's see what happens. So nothing happens for a few days. One day I'm in the shower. At least comes running in. My phone won't stop going off. Sale, 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 sale sale one guy bought nearly all of them so i look it up apparently he's a producer in hollywood and he is known for having a collection because he's trying to acquire all the issues of all of these obscure titles and people out there know about it and this was like a deep dive on the internet so me having all these random ones he might only want like one from a lot of three but he was getting the whole thing I sent so many. It was like this $50, $60 box that I lied and said it was media mail and books <laughs> so I could get the cheaper shipping for it. He bought $2,000 worth in one shot. And I was unemployed at the time. Well, so porn saved our life. <laughs> That's crazy. I mean, talk about a money shot. <laughs> I mean, fantastic, fantastic story. Uh, what did you do with that two thousand? What did you did you flip it? Paid bills. I wasn't working. Okay. We had to pay rent. <laughs> we had to buy food. It's amazing to me though that how did the guy that and I'm just saying the, the original rummage sale, the original owner of this. Let me guess, the pair of Zumbas and a ponytail. Um, how did he not sell these? I don't know. I, I I didn't put the effort into it. Like I don't know. Because the weird thing is, after doing this, I flat out told Lisa, I said, if I'm ever at a sale again and find stuff like this, I'm buying it. She's like, please just put it somewhere. Like, our kid's older. Can just put it somewhere he won't discover it, at least? Only list them at night when he's asleep? I'm like, yeah. I'll do that, but I'm totally going to flip them all again. How often are you finding porn at a rummage sale, though? Uh, like, only twice in my life. Yeah. When I, I, I would, can't... When I was in California with the girl I was dating then, we were out yard selling one day and found a giant tote full of VHS and it said free. And so it, you took them? No, no, she wouldn't let me. Uh, it turned out it was a divorce yard sale. 
I'm mm. guessing the giant tote was part of the reason for it. But yes, the girl I was dating at times said absolutely not. I could see that. Yeah. But you, being a businessman. Exactly. <laughs> it was an Wheeling and dealing, uh, baby. Wheeling and dealing. All right. Kevin's Money Shot, name of the episode. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's go read ahead. Let's talk about Saturday Night. Uh, actually, Educator, you want to add anything about your porn collection? Uh, it's non-existent. So. Hasbro's before hoes? Uh, Hasbro's before hoes, baby. I'm as vanilla as they come. So you haven't found, uh, what is it, Custer's Last Stand for Atari yet, then, for your retro gaming collection? No. no. Bubble Bath Babes, not oh, interested no, not yet. No. Well, Night Trap, you got Night Trap over there? I do have a copy of Night Trap, but, you know. That game's so tame now. Yeah. Is that the game of Play-Doh one? Yeah. Well, on the cover. Yo, yeah. I mean, it's on the, you know how tame the game is? It was released for the Nintendo Switch. Yeah, I mean, they did a re-release through Limited Run, so whatever. So, it's fine. It's kind of funny. All right, so why don't we get right into Saturday night's main event, 11. Uh, this took place on April 28th, 1987, but it was aired on May 2nd, 1987. We are live from Notre Dame, Indiana. Um, hot crowd, I thought, going to a, um, not a coastal city, a little a little more, uh, not a city they usually would go to now. You know, it's... Uh, it's a little different time back then, and uh, let's just start right ahead with the bumpers right at the front. We get the Macho Man with Liz uh, kind of recapping his feud with George the Animal Steel. It's the feud that just will never end. I know. <laughs> I mean, well before WrestleMania three, we've had a couple of Saturday Night's main event encounters, and uh, apparently this is going to be the finality. Um, and then we get Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Uh, we get Jimmy Hart with Danny Davis and the Hart Foundation. Um, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. This is the first time we had, this is the first time we've seen Hacksaw, right? This is yes. his introduction. Um, and then we get Bobby the Brain Heenan with Andre. Um, you know, talking about the travesty that was WrestleMania three and Hawk Hogan. Uh, anything besides the really the Macho Man, which is what they were leading with. Uh, anything to to gleam off any of the other ones? Nothing really uh, significant. I mean, it is this is like the post. Big show since WrestleMania three. So, of course, lots of the angles from WrestleMania three and overflowing into now what will be the summer of 87. Uh, now we're going with the angle with Andre supposedly pinning Hogan early in the match. And we'll see how that eventually plays out. Um, I was very fascinated by Hacksaw's look here. More of a all-American biker gimmick kind right. of thing here for i just i have no recollection of this and he seemed more like an actual tough guy that's maybe a little screwy because he's been in too many fights as opposed to uh, i don't know having the mental issues the goof yeah the goof that we got later on down the road with yeah. the, like the pseudo cross eye and all that stuff yeah and and i do appreciate bobby heenan reminding us that andre is still undefeated Right. Such a heel. Um, so we get our intro. Then we're greeted by Vince and Jesse, the body Ventura. Um, and they throw to a flashback of Bobby, the brain Heenan having a debate with Ken Patera. What would have this aired on? Was this a superstars taping superstars or challenge? Maybe it was a segment on prime time. This is Ken Patera's return post rehabilitation, uh, post his, you know, his prison sentence for his involvement with, the. Uh, the kind of breaking and entering frustration that he couldn't get a meal after 
uh, a house show or something like that where he threw a brick through the restaurant window and ended up getting arrested and spent some time away from the wrestling industry. And now he's kind of back into the graces of the McMahons and they're going to give him one more run to see what they can make out of it. I mean, they said earlier today for the the filming of it all, but you, you're right. I didn't even think like, were they doing? Were they filming more than just Saturday Night's main event for this? Um, or was it just a time edit? Was this supposed to be a much longer segment? And then they're like, "Ah, oh, geez, we kind of don't have enough time for the show here. Let's play it so it at least explains Bobby later on in the episode." I will say that the bump that he took during this debate, Heenan's bump, when that belt was wrapped around his neck and Patera kind of did like a hip toss or beeled him across the ring, but yanked on that belt. I mean, I think Heenan legitimately got injured here because his neck snapped when he hit the ground and, oh, it looked brutal. Absolutely brutal. Didn't he have neck surgery later on too anyways? He, he's, he had been he, – he was known to have neck issues. Um Throughout, I remember in particular, like in WCW, when the whole Clash of the Champions and Pillman pulled, uh, got up behind Heenan doing commentary at the table uh, that was ringside and like help and Heenan dropping the F bomb. Like, what the F are you doing? Because oh, he, right. gra- he was grabbing on Bobby's neck and not- Bobby had, had been known to have multiple surgeries. I mean, Bobby Heenan in a collar in the early 80s, late. Uh, late eighties, I should say early ninety. I mean, that was a common thing. Yeah. So we, um, follow that up with, uh, mean Jean interviewing Kamala, the Ugandan headhunter with Kim Chi and Mr. Fuji, um, kind of getting us set up for that first match. Uh, we then see another WWF flashback of Jake Roberts in the snake pit getting attacked by honky tonk man. And then we have Mean Gene interviewing Jake the Snake Roberts with Damian. And then, like I said, leads to our first match on the card, which is Kamala with Kim Chi and Mr. Fuji taking on Jake the Snake with Damian. Uh, what did you guys think of the setup for this match um, and then leading up to the, the match itself? Uh, I thought the flashbacks were great, providing a history of, I mean, it was weird to sh- uh, to explain the whole snake pit, why they were replaying that, and then you see what ends up playing out in the match and the connection with everything, and you're like, oh, okay, that makes sense about continuing the feud uh, that had started, uh, you know, pre WrestleMania and so on. The guitar shot from Hockey Talk Man hitting Snake. Apparently, you know, there have been many, many a shoot interview where Jake Roberts claims that. This was the guitar shot that suddenly now put him on the wrong path, uh, you know, with taking drugs and so on because he got hit with a non-gimmicked guitar and he had a a neck injury uh, as a result of this. And this is what caused him to get on pain kills and then eventually turn to other drugs and so on. The match itself, I thought it was a very cool, interesting dynamic, the contrast and styles between you know, Kamala and uh, Jake Roberts. I didn't remember a time. I don't remember this history in with Fuji actually being of the manager of Kamala. I had always, you know, Kim Chi. And then during Kamala's like final run in WWF where he was with Harvey Whippleman, 
and kind of briefly when Slick was doing the Reverend, Reverend Slick stuff. Um, but I, I don't remember Kamala and Fuji being a thing at all. So kind of cool to go back and watch this again and see how everything played out. Uh, the swerve at the end I thought was great with the reveal with Kim Chi. So, you know, cool. Good stuff. Yeah, um, Kamala's around more than I realize. But also, I mean, earlier I didn't realize Ken Patera was still around at this point either. Just my time frame of things is off. Yeah, this is this is like his return back from going away for a while. And we have, you know, a, a quick angle to turn someone face here with Jake getting hit by the guitar. Uh, also, once again, a, a giant scared by a snake. It's kind of like uh, the elephant running away from the mouse here. It's just, you know, in Vince's mind, uh, big guys are afraid of snakes. Not to insult the audience in the crowd. I don't know anything about certain people, but there is a sign up of Kamala and the drawing is absolute trash. <laughs> All right. Thanks for that insight, Kevin. There it is. Um, educator, why don't you go ahead and break down <laughs> Kamala why... versus Jake the Snake? That's why we give him the big segment at the end, right? It's called the money <laughs> shot. Money shot decent. Money shot aliens. All right, so we see the start of the match begin with Jake Roberts coming to ringside, and he ends up releasing the snake into the ring, uh, Damien into the ring, and that, of course, causes everyone to run frantic, including Kamala, out of the ring, onto the floor. We see uh, the referee and Jake Roberts work together to get Damien back into the bag. As Jake Roberts is got his back turned to Kamala and he's tying up the bag. Kamala gets back into the ring and ends up attacking Jake Roberts from behind uh, with a bunch of chops to his back, his trapezius and so on. We see Kamala Irish whip Jake, the snake Roberts into the ropes and he ends up doing a thrust kick to the abdomen. Jake Roberts ends up doubling over as a result. Roberts eventually tries to fight back with a flurry of rights, but Kamala does a double throat thrust uh, to Jake Roberts to stop that momentum. We see Kamala with more chops to Jake the Snake's Roberts back. He does another kick to the gut. He does a headbutt to Jake Roberts. Kamala ends up picking up Jake Roberts into a bear hug, but eventually Roberts is able to escape by stomping on Kamala's bare feet, as Roberts, is, of course, is wearing your traditional type of wrestling boot for more protection. Jake Roberts with an arm twist and another stomp onto Kamala's feet, his bare feet, to continue to slow him down. Uh, Kamala tries to battle back with a chop to the head to Jake Roberts. We see Kamala blatantly choking uh, Jake Roberts as Roberts' shoulders are down to the canvas. He also drapes Roberts over the middle rope and ends up dropping his uh, foot and stretching his foot across the throat of Jake the Snake Roberts to continue to work him down uh, within the five count of the referee. Eventually, Jake Roberts does make a comeback with a few right hands, but Kamala does a headbutt to uh, to Jake Roberts to stop that momentum. Roberts is now rolled out to the floor, and he's baiting Kamala to chase after him. Kamala buys in and starts chasing Jake Roberts around ringside. As Jake Roberts climbs back into the ring and Kamala eventually works his way in, we see Jake Roberts hit a pretty vicious knee lift as Kamala is stepping through the ropes. Uh, Kamala staggered getting into the ring. Roberts climbs to the second rope and does a jumping knee lift again, which knocks Kamala down on the canvas. Roberts goes for the DDT, but we now see Mr. Fuji up on the apron acting as a distraction for the referee. And then Kim Chi gets into the ring as well from behind and ends up clotheslining Jake Roberts in the back of the head as he's got Kamala's head set up for the DDT. 
Uh, so he clotheslines Jake Roberts. This is Kim Chi knocking uh, Jake Roberts down onto the canvas. Kamala ends up hitting the ropes, running the ropes, hits a big splash, and gets a quick one, two, three pinfall over Jake the Snake Roberts. Uh, pinfall win for Kamala. Post match, we end up seeing uh, Kim Chi, for whatever reason, take off his jacket. He starts unbuttoning his shirt. And he ends up pulling off the hood and his shirt. And we see that it is the honky tonk man under all the garb of Kim Chi. So he's got his entire blue uh, honky tonk man jumpsuit on. And then on top of that, he's got the heavy cargo pants, the Kim Chi shirt, the jacket and the hood. Um, That's a lot of thick gear that honky tonk man sporting. He ends up attacking Jake Roberts, dropping an elbow onto Roberts, and then eventually picks up Snake, Jake the Snake and does the big old shake, rattle, and roll, twisting neck breaker to the booze of the crowd. And we end up seeing Hockey Talk Man leaving ringside in celebration of getting one over on Jake Roberts. I, I was shocked here by the ending. I didn't see it coming. I didn't expect it. I have no memory of it. I was shocked to see Kamala get a win, honestly. Like when when Kamala got the win at first, I thought, how the hell has he got the win? I really I wrote down in my notes, Kamala pins Jake and all these questions marks for it before the honky revealed there. And I was like, oh, okay, this actually makes a lot of sense here. Um, I was torn between how much I thought Kamala's work was trash and how impressed I was with a little bit of it, though. He sells jake's beat down a giant uh beating better than bundy did like kamala really made it look like the kicks were hurting him like he was being worn down like if he had a a video game health bar it's lowering with each kick that jake gives him but otherwise his work is garbage like it seemed like his plan of the match is i'm gonna just press jake's body up against one of the ring ropes and hope that he eventually gives up One of the things that I just noticed throughout Kamala's career is that a lot of his work, it looked always unbalanced, weak. And I'm wondering a lot if that had to do with the fact that he wrestled barefoot and it was hard for him to get the traction, the stability and so on to be able to lay in shots that looked, you know, more devastating that they were always than what they were, what they came off as. And I mean, honestly, like, how hard does someone like Kamala have to try to improve it all? You look like that with this gimmick. You can just show up anywhere in the world and make money as a wrestler. You don't need to show you're a good worker at all in any of this. But I, I don't know. I was, I enjoyed the selling, but that's kind of not the point of Kamala's character, though. Anyways, he should be the one doing beatdowns, and otherwise, his his offense was trash. I would ask you, because I, I get what you're saying uh, with his offense looking the way it is. I would ask you to go back and look at uh, Kamala's feud with Andre the Giant and the stuff they had going on in like 84, 83, 84. Um, they had a pretty good feud uh, going on. And go back and check some of that stuff out. And let me know what you think about his offense then. Okay, but he that would be a different style match, though. Right, absolutely. And that Kamala, which big guy. not just another big guy, but he's the smaller guy right. in, in that match. And the smaller guy's style is just flat out different. Right. 
now. I mean, I'm I'm curious. Believe me, I'm going to look it up. But it's just his work here, I was not impressed by. I, this I is, love the angle yeah. in the match, but that's it. Andre with the big, like the big fro of hair with the yeah, just and that that feud with Kamala. Go back and take a peek, take a look at some clips that you can find online. It was uh, pretty good stuff actually for what it was for the big giants going at each other. Yeah, so we followed that up with a look back at WrestleMania three. Um, then we get Mean Gene interviewing George the Animal Steel, and then he interviews Ricky the Dragon Steamboat with George. Um, and then he interviews, uh, then Mean Gene interviews the Macho Man with Miss Elizabeth, setting us up for match number two on our cart, which is George the Animal Steel versus the Macho Man in a lumberjack match. Um, Educator, you said earlier that this is a feud that never ends. Just never seems to end. It's just on again, off again. Uh, we've had multiple matches now with George the Animal Steel against Macho Man Randy Savage for the Intercontinental title. Here we are now, no Intercontinental title uh, whatsoever, as Steamboat had recently defeated Macho Man at WrestleMania 3. And so this is, you know, I, Macho Man's uh, the culmination of the feud. And this is even with one of the interview components, we hear uh, Mean Gene saying, you know, this is the last time you're going to be close to Elizabeth. And we we of course, hear George say, Elizabeth, Elizabeth, you know, so. Steel and Macho pronounce her name very similarly. <laughs> Thinking of Elizabeth, will you marry me? Um, I I didn't. How do you guys feel about the friendship between Steamboat and George Animal Steel? Like it, it didn't do anything for me, but uh, it seems to do it for me and Gene. He just he pounded his chest and said, it "Gets you right here." He's just you know, a tear in his eye from that friendship there. Um, I'm wondering what sort of wibbly wobbly timey wimey alternate reality thing is going on here with the lumberjacks. Cause I notice both kimchi and the honky and, tonk man. Yeah. How can that be crazy? Just suddenly now, all of a sudden two, two separate people. entities. Yeah. It's always two people. It's <laughs> almost like they were taped out of order. <laughs> Biker hacksaw here again. Like they must have, he looks like a dreadnought from GI Joe. I, I honestly think this is like, he's still transitioning from his mid South run and, uh, they're just starting with this to see if it sticks or how, but they end up changing it to the whole USA. Well, I mean, they started with the USA gimmick, but definitely this street clothes presentation of Jim Duggan, a lot different than what we were, we got used to later on. Yeah. I mean, the, I, I hate to say it, but the more like simple character that he became, there's there's little sprinkles of here tonight already. And I think a more harder edge hacksaw here, like he looks like he should be, may have gone further. Well, they were going to go a lot further with him and then he kind of got pulled over with Shiki in the car and they both had cocaine. And so, yeah, it was not good. So, okay. Him and she got just pulled over and arrested, but right. Patera threw the rock through the McDonald's, right? Yeah. Okay. I'm just Shiki. keeping my wrestling arrest yeah. straight. <laughs> yeah. Shiki went bye-bye. I mean, Shiki was gone after this, uh, for a while. He didn't come back until he ended up doing the, uh, General Adnan, Sergeant Slaughter, Colonel Mustafa, Triangle of Terror. 
Uh, Shiki left for a while, went to the NWA in 89, had a feud with Sting over the TV title, and they ended up not doing much more with him and then forgot that they had him on the payroll and his contract rolled over. So he got paid another year to stay home and not be used because he was just terrible. I got to get into that line of work. Getting paid to stay at home? Getting paid to stay home. That's what my brother's doing. Iron Sheik and Lanny Poffo both get paid to stay home by WCW NWA. Crazy. (laughs) Iron Sheik, Lanny Poffo, Bo Dallas. (laughs) What a... (laughs) Um, so anyways, educator, why don't you go ahead and break down the lumberjack match for us? So we see the start of the match after all the lumberjacks are at ringside, George animal steals in the ring and macho man gets the entrance. Second Liz is up on the apron. Macho man is jaw jacking with Ricky steamboat pointing down a steamboat on the floor. But George animal steel is kind of still smitten with miss Elizabeth. He's kind of putting his head on the rope near Elizabeth. You know, because he really, really likes her. Savage turns around and ends up attacking uh, George the Animal Steel, uh, uh, who was, you know, with Elizabeth on the apron. Steel ends up firing back and beeling Randy Savage across the ring and eventually out onto the floor. The heel lumberjacks essentially won't touch Macho Man, won't toss him in. But eventually the British Bulldogs and Tito Santana come over and intervene and immediately grab Savage and toss him back into the ring. We see George Animal Steel ramming Randy Savage headfirst in one of the top turnbuckles. Savage tries to escape through the ropes to the floor, but again, Tito Santana and the Bulldogs prevent him from doing so, pushing him back into the ring. We see George Steel biting Randy Savage in the forehead. Eventually, Savage breaks away and battles back with a knee uh, and a kick to the gut of George Steel. Steel ends up uh, countering by raking St. Randy Savage in the face and kind of holding him in a, in a double-fisted uh, uh, choke on the uh, onto the nose, kind of like you know grinding his nose with his face with both fists. Um, we end up seeing George Steele uh, allowing Randy escape. Uh, Randy Savage to escape to the floor, but only again to be tossed back in from the face lumberjacks that are at ringside. Savage eventually gets the upper hand by reversing another corner ram that George Steele tried to do into the turnbuckle by basically pumping the brakes and sending George Steele into the turnbuckle instead. George the Animal Steele tries to uh, get his arms tied or gets his arms tied up into the ropes as Randy Savage is laying in with a few rights and ends up uh, knocking George Steele through the ropes to the floor. Interesting to see that we do see faces. Uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan and Ricky Steamboat pick George Steele up and kind of roll him back into the ring. We hear uh, Jesse Ventura on commentary talking about, oh, how ginger, how nice. But, I mean, they they definitely pushed him back into the ring to get the match to continue. Uh, Savage ends up doing a bunch of shoulder thrust into George Steele uh, as his back is into the corner. Savage climbs to the top rope and hits a leaping double axe handle off the top rope. Onto, a George, onto George Steele, knocking him down. Savage ends up tossing George Animal Steele through the ropes to the floor near the heel side, and all the heels end up gathering around George Steele and start stomping him violently, viciously. Uh, and eventually we see from the back, Jim Duggan, with his two-by-four, ends up giving chase, scaring all the heels away as they're squaring around in the ring. Uh, for some reason during this, Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov end up in the ring as they're running away from uh, uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan to the point where now Duggan enters the ring and chases both Sheik and Volkov off. He swings the two by four, narrowly misses the Sheiky baby, 
Um, but a bunch of referees end up getting involved and pleading with Duggan to get out of the ring. They take us two, five, four away, and they end up escorting him from ringside back to the locker room. And we end up going to commercial. Coming back from commercial, we see George Steele land a headbutt uh, onto the floor of Danny Davis, who was attempting to attack George the Animal Steele. And that got a pretty good crowd pop seeing Davis get knocked down uh, by George Steele. George Steele climbs back into the ring and attacks Randy Savage, ends up doing a body slam to the Macho Man. George Steele ends up doing a double-fisted choke lift to Randy Savage and ends up dropping him for a big back bump in the middle of the ring. George Steele then turns his efforts to one of the top turnbuckles and shreds the turnbuckle, takes a handful of the stuffing inside and starts mashing it and grinding it into Savage's face. Randy Savage ends up eventually countering with some stomps to the abdomen and sets up for a big front suplex onto George Steele to take him down. Randy Savage ends up tossing George the Animal Steele out through the ropes onto the floor. Both the faces and heel lumberjacks work together to push George the Animal Steele back into the ring. George Steele ends up gra- uh, grabbing Randy Savage and launches him viciously over the top rope onto the floor. We see particularly Ricky Steamboat quickly intervene, snatches Randy Savage back up, and tosses him quickly back into the ring to continue with the match. George the Animal Steel tries to toss Randy Savage again over the top rope, but Savage puts on the brakes and ends up grabbing an arm bar and pressing Steel against the ropes to stop the momentum. George the Animal Steel uses a few right hands and a biting effort to stop that arm bar onto Randy Savage. Steel ends up tossing Savage again through the ropes out on the floor. Steamboat again tries to intervene on his own to pick up Randy Savage. As he picks up Savage, Savage ends up fighting back, and now there's a brawl between Ricky Steamboat and Randy Savage on the floor as they go back and forth with chops and right hands. Eventually, uh, Steamboat is attacked by from behind by Hercules with a big knee in the back to stop all of Steamboat's efforts. There's a total brawl on the outside of the ring. All the lumberjacks are fighting with one another. And during the melee, as the referee is distracted by the brawl going on outside of the ring with the lumberjacks, Danny Davis sneaks into the ring. He had grabbed the ringside bell and ends up attacking Randy or George the Animal Steel from behind, knocking him in the back of the head and the shoulders with the ring bell. And that unfortunately sets up it perfectly for Randy Savage to climb onto the top rope, hit the big Macho Man elbow off the top, and get the one-two-three pinfall victory and finishing the feud between himself and George the Animal Steel. It almost felt like the match itself was background. Like the main story is something else happening and the the match is just in the background for so you know some other action to take place while people are having a conversation like it would be for a movie or tv show there um i mean lumberjack matches had already happened but it's interesting how the faces and heels are actually doing their job of putting the wrestlers back in the ring and not playing it up like they would now of protecting whoever is on their side and almost giving them a break and then beating the hell out of, you know, whoever's on the opposite side of uh, of them on the eternal battle of good versus evil there. Um, but you got the, the Duggan, Sheik, and Volkov thing, which I'm already like, okay, here goes Duggan again, looking like an idiot. I'm sorry. I don't mean to be crapping all over Duggan here. It just drives me nuts for some reason. Um, and then, oh, right, we got a match going on. Let's get back to it. Hercules and Ricky Steamboat having their feud within here as Lumberjacks going back and forth. Um, it, 
ending's fantastic. I was very impressed with that. Violent looked great. Macho looks like a jerk. Danny Davis looks like a jerk. Like, very impressed with it. But the thing that really got me in match, and as much, you know, I've I've crept on George Animal Steel, kind of like I am Hacksaw on this episode. But he, Savage, like, backs him into a corner, and he just swings with these nasty right hands right to Savage. I'm like, holy crap. I don't know if it got too real for a minute or if he was just, you know, people need to remember what I can do. But a, a guy that seems kind of silly, teddy bear, cartoonish for this era of WWF that's also been wrestling for a while and could absolutely handle himself in a fight and showed it against Macho Man here. Um, very, You know, I'm, I'm curious at the end there with Jake coming out, who was playing kimchi now. Uh, obviously not a giant because he didn't run away in fright from Damien. Got the snake actually wrapped around him. But uh, yeah, mystery of Kim Chi uh, might just be up there with like who ro- who raised the briefcase. You know, one of those just all time WWF mysteries. I can't remember if it had ever been explained. I'm sure there were a, probably a whole bunch of interchangeable enhancement talent that played Kim Chi throughout the many iterations that he had in his run in WWF in the eighties and even the early nineties run, uh, with heel Kamala when, you know, he feuded with the undertaker and so on for some reason. And I'm, I'm sure I'm probably wrong. I want to say that Lombardi probably played kimchi had to play at some point. Um, but I'm sure there were other interchangeable characters beyond like the whole, it was a setup gimmick. Someone was under the hood, you know, like hockey talk was earlier in the show. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's just, it's in, it, an interesting character dynamic with having a manager and then a handler or trainer for, um, for, you know, for, for this giant Similar to how you had Fuji and Cornette managing Yokozuna. You just got multiple bodies, you know, for the one in-ring competitor. So, And and also something I think would only work for a heel, too. Not that you have a lot yeah. of managers to begin with. But really to just add more distraction and more chaos and more opportunities outside of the ring. So you're saying then when Lou Albano came back to manage the face head shrinkers to the tag titles, it didn't work out when both him and Afa were there? I mean, it worked out at least once. He won the <laughs> at right? one, one night, yeah. Exactly. What was it, 20, 21st tag team champion he managed or something like that? Something, yeah, I can't remember. There's a t-shirt. I'm sure. I'm just surprised you're crapping all over American Badass, Jim Duggan. Oh, jeez. See, coming out with skull chains eight ball. <laughs> I mean, I think he's coming out to Leonard Skinner, which would make sense too. Yeah, it all makes sense. So, um, so we followed that up with Mean Gene Okerlund interviewing Bobby the Brain Heenan. Well, really, it's more of a sit down with Bobby the Brain and Andre the Giant because um, they're demanding an investigation into WrestleMania three. Um, and then we get Mean Gene interviewing Jimmy Hart, the Hart Foundation, and Danny Davis. Um, anything on those two? I mean, the big one here, obviously, is going to be Bobby the Brain Heenan and Andre uh, just kind of going over the, the WrestleMania 3, demanding it. And, you know, they're going to have video evidence. 
strip on, you know, strip Hogan of the belt, give it to Andre, or they demand a rematch between Hogan and Andre kind of deal. Adamant that Morella, you know, was favoring Hogan, was he on the take, uh, so to speak. And, you know, he, the counted three, Hogan's shoulders were not up for the three count. It's, it's good camera work to always, to be able to put the fans in question just because of where referee Morella was. You can't see him slapping his hands to the rat because of Andre's body in the way from the angle position. But it's it, it was done in a great way to always put that little like hint of doubt. You know, was Hogan really defeated? Do they have a legitimate gripe, so to speak? So definitely laying it on. The, the Heart Foundation interview... Danny Davis attempting to attack Mean Gene Okerlund. I don't get it whatsoever. And Anvil struggling to pull Danny Davis off of Mean Gene and pull him off screen. It's just crazy. No one was buying Danny Davis, former referee, as a legitimate threat. I mean, the, the he's the jobber to the stars. He's the Brooklyn brawler of this of that generation as well. Um, yeah, there's just no buying into him being a legitimate threat. Real ill-fitting outfit, too, when he's got that referee coat buttoned up. He's got, like, it, it pops out. Like a, go ahead, censor if you want to, treats. Like a large-chested woman's trying to wear a shirt that's too big for her and the buttons are popping. The muffin top. She's like. muffin topping it? Well, the ring gear he had because he had so many tattoos on his arm. Oh, really? So that, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he had, like lots of them i mean not like randy orton full sleeves but i mean but for he the had, time for the time big patches of tattoos all the way down which is why he only refereed always wearing the long light blue yeah. outfit with the bow tie he, like he never came back when they went to like full stripe he ended up be, you know with a kind of like the the footlocker look deal they he never went was uh, an active referee during that time all right, and that leads us to match number three, which, you know what, if it's a tag team match, it's going to be two out of three falls here. Uh, but at least it is the British Bulldogs taking on the Hart Foundation. Uh, what did you guys think of this one? I know earlier I had said I had forgotten about the iteration of Kamala being managed by Mr. Fuji, but I remember now watching Saturday Night's Man, this particular episode, and being so devastated at the outcome of this match and thinking that the title match or the title switch should have happened. I hated the booking for this as a kid watching this. I, it doesn't make sense. If, if the first fall ended the way that it was that the way that it did, what was the point of even continuing the match? If there was no way that there could be a title change, why did they continue with the match and, and, and keep going? I, the finish, if they had flip-flopped the falls and the hearts purposefully got themselves disqualified, that I would understand. But to do the finish where there's a pinfall for the second fall and the Bulldogs won the second fall, the crowd went a crazy thinking that there was a title switch. And nope, no title switch at all. Did they even tell the live crowd what happened there? I don't think they did. Because you you, you can, even at the end, of the you know, they're now Finkel announced them the winner by two straight falls of the match, the British Bulldogs, but they never were announced as tag champions. And it was explained to the home crowd 
with Jesse on commentary. Ha ha, I hate to be the spoiler of this, but the title can't change hands because there was a disqualification involved in one of the falls. And even Vince McMahon's like, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> so, Can I ask a question, though? So, you know, when if you're a wrestler and you know these rules... Why even do the second fall? Why continue the match? <laughs> exactly. If you're the Bulldogs and you supposedly know the rules of a two out of three falls match for the for a championship, what what's the incentive of continuing if the first fall is already done and it was a DQ and therefore it's only going to be a DQ finish? And are and you surprised that they haven't had the Miz use this technique in a two out of three falls <laughs> match at this point? Like, it's just... I, it, I was really sour on that when I, you know, you know, I saw when when they first won the first fall, I was like, oh, the heart's going to just, you know, win the next Sweet. two or yeah. they're going to lose the belts here. But I just thought it was odd. Or I could understand if like the second fall was also a DQ finish. So they won both by DQs like, OK, Danny Davis got caught with a megaphone hitting, you know, one of the hearts or one of the bulldogs or whatever. Um, or, you know, there was a, you know, schmoz finish with a big brawl and it was a double DQ or a double count out or whatever, but to do it as the, the mat, the pin, uh, there's a pinfall that finishes the match and the face team wins. And, but that's not a title switch. I, I think this is a good ending for a house show, right? Yeah. But not for television. No, not for TV at all. All right. So why don't you. Go ahead and actually break down this match for us. Fun start to the match with the Bulldogs who had brought Tito Santana with them to ringside. Uh, Bulldogs and Tito are in the ring. They have Matilda. And then the Hart Foundation, Danny Davis, uh, Jimmy Hart come to the ring. And they all are in the ring. And Davey Boy just lets Matilda go to attack uh, Jimmy Hart. And Matilda gets a hold of, of Jimmy Hart and is chewing on his leg, ripping at his pants. Um, I mean, Jimmy is flailing like crazy to the point where he almost kind of falls down on top of Matilda, frantically trying to escape from the ring. And they end up doing a close up where he shows his pant leg where Matilda had bit into and started shredding his pants on his gear. Just absolutely crazy. For the actual match itself, we see Bret Hart and Davy Boy Smith start off. They begin with a test of strength. Uh, Davey ends up doing a combination of a kip up and a handspring combo to escape the test of strength from Davey Boy Smith. Davey or from Bret Hart, I should say. Davey Boy Smith picks up Bret Hart with a, like a wrist lock that slams him down to the mat for a big back bump. We see Davey Boy Smith dropping multiple knees on the arm and bicep of Bret Hart. Davey Boy Smith with an Irish whip to Bret Hart. He does a leapfrog and then eventually a monkey flip onto Bret Hart, flipping him over to for a back bump onto the canvas. Bret Hart eventually recovers, does an Irish whip to Davey Boy Smith. He attempts to swing with a clothesline, but Davey Boy Smith ducks and ends up hitting a crucifix onto Bret Hart and gets a two count from the referee. Davy Boy Smith decides to hit the ropes again. Bret Hart drops down for Davy Boy to kind of jump over and run to the opposite ropes to bounce off. But Bret Hart stands up and hits a knee lift on a rebounding Davy Boy Smith. Jim the Anvil Nightheart tags in. He ends up a bunch of clubbing forearms over Davy Boy's back. We see Bret Hart choking Davy Boy Smith from behind as the referee's back is turned, using the tag rope as additional leverage to choke Davy Boy Smith. 
We see more forearms to Davy Boy Smith from Jim the Anvil Nightheart. Eventually, Bret Hart tags back in. We see Bret Hart pick up Davy Boy Smith for a side slam, but ends up dropping him over his knee for a stiff backbreaker. We get a two count from the referee. Bret Hart does a leg drop to Davy Boy Smith. He does a corner Irish whip and launches Davy Boy Smith into the ropes. Bret Hart attempts to charge a prone Davy Boy Smith, but Davy Boy Smith lifts up his knees, and Bret Hart crashes and burns into Davy Boy Smith's knees. Davy Boy is able to do a hot tag into Dynamite Kid for Dynamite Kid to come in. Dynamite Kid comes in, does a corner Irish whip to Bret Hart, who slams his body sternum first into the turnbuckle pad and then flails back to the canvas. Dynamite Kid ends up picking up Bret Hart by the hair, yanks him up to do a back bump back to the canvas floor. And then does a stiff short arm clothesline to knock Bret Hart down to get a two count. We see Dynamite Kid pick up Davy Boy Smith, give him a snap suplex for a two count. Dynamite Kid does essentially a swan dive, standing, falling headbutt onto Bret Hart, connects with it. And then we see Jim the Anvil Nightheart begin to intervene to prevent a pinfall attempt. Anvil ends up tossing Davy Boy Smith, who also got involved, out to the floor where Danny Davis is. And we see Danny Davis starting to attack and stomp Davy Boy Smith. Uh, the hearts in the ring start double teaming the Dynamite Kid in the ring while Tito Santana saw the attack from Danny Davis onto a down Davy Boy Smith on the floor. Tito Santana ends up chasing Danny Davis around the ring and Jimmy Hart in tow. Uh, all around the ring as the referee is continuing to count both the members of the Hart Foundation attacking the Dynamite Kid. And all of a sudden we hear the bell ring. And as winners, the British Bulldogs are awarded the first fall due to a flagrant disqualification for the double team in the ring from the Hart Foundation. So I think the Bulldogs need to take a seat out front of Jack Tunney's office right behind Bobby Brainheen and Andre the Giant coming in there. Once, I mean, yes, story scripted, fine. But let's play along here. Once the DQ happens in the first fall and it continues, it depends on the final fall, I would say. And that final fall is a pin. Right. If... The first fall was a pin, and the second one was a DQ. I'd give it right. If that second one was DQ, it'd be like it's two falls, but this one's a DQ, no title change. But because first one was and it continues, I'd say it, which it should still count. Absolutely, it's a legit one. But because of it being two straight falls, it seemed like the Heart Foundation had to kind of act the fool a little too much, like they didn't really seem to get any heat going for themselves. Uh, not like not that they were off off step or or screwing up or anything but they just didn't get a chance to really show what they could do because they had to be on the other side of it for so much of the match um honestly that that ending ends up ticking you off so much that you're like well at least the matilda Ma, matilda matilda's spot with jimmy hart was fun like now you're just you know you're grasping at straws for anything because it is honestly a very upsetting ending for it <laughs> Um, I would hope that it leads into a rematch. Maybe not, though. I don't know. I don't remember. Uh, as cheap and irritating and all as that ending is, it, it's also kind of brilliant, too, honestly. <laughs> trick the people watching it, trick the fans that were there live and all. 
me being annoyed by it what like 30 years later you know like it's brilliant as much as it's an annoying i can't believe you did this like imagine them doing this during internet age right oh people would have lost their minds absolutely So we end up going to a commercial after the first fall disqualification. When we come back from commercial, the start of the match, Bret Hart is with Dynamite Kid. He ends up ramming Dynamite Kid into an exposed boot from Jim the Anvil Nightheart over the uh, middle rope here. And Anvil ends up tagging into the match. Anvil is clocking Dynamite, or I should say choking Dynamite over the top rope, uh, blatantly straddling his throat over the rope itself. Bret Hart tags in, and the Hearts end up doing a double-team maneuver, their version of Demolition Decapitation. Demolition is is a team now in the WWF, have been doing their version of the elbow finish off the second rope while the second guy is holding the their opponent over the knee. Um, the Hearts ended up were, were doing this move first, and they end up continuing to do it throughout this kind of overlap as Demolition's doing as a finisher. Of course, Brett dropping the elbow off the second rope is in a little bit different form than how Axe did it from Demolition, but pretty stiff maneuver. We see Brett working on Dynamite Kid, uh, continued working back and forth on Dynamite Kid's back and body. Anvil ends up tagging back in as Dynamite is almost set to make a big tag to Davey Boy Smith, but we see Anvil choking the Dynamite Kid as the ref is distracted as Brett is being chased around the ring by Davey Boy Smith. Brett eventually tags back into the match. He ends up locking Dynamite's arms into the rope, the big Andre the Giant spot where his arms are trapped in there. And then Brett hits the opposite ropes to charge and launch his body into a prone Dynamite Kid. But Dynamite Kid is able to escape, and essentially Brett crotches himself into the middle and top rope. And, uh, yeah, both men are down. Brett is able to make a tag to Jim the Anvil Nightheart as Dynamite Kid is finally able to make the hot tag to Davy Boy Smith. We see Davy Boy Smith hit a drop kick to Bret Hart, eventually a standing drop kick to Jim the Anvil Nightheart. Davy Boy Smith ends up hitting a clothesline to Jim Nightheart and goes for a pinfall, gets a two count. Davy Boy Smith does his known big standing delayed vertical suplex to the big man to Jim the Anvil Nightheart, drops Nightheart with that standing vertical suplex. We get a two count of pinfall attempt again. Davy Boy Smith ends up telegraphing a back body drop maneuver attempt onto the anvil after an Irish whip, only for anvil to essentially do kind of like a soccer punt into the sternum and chest to Davy Boy. Brett ends up grabbing both of Davy Boy's arms as Brett is standing on the ring apron, grabbing his arms from behind so that, you know, uh, Davy Boy Smith is completely prone. Anvil is laying in some forearms and a couple of slaps across Davy Boy Smith's face. Anvil ends up hitting the opposite ropes to do a running forearm strike to an exposed Davy Boy Smith while Brett's holding him from behind, only for Davy Boy Smith to move out of the way. And Anvil just absolutely crushes Brett Hart with a running forearm, knocking Brett off of the apron, almost crashing into the barricade on the floor. We see Danny Davis frustrated. He jumps up on the apron, uh, starts jaw jacking and be trying to be as a distraction only for Tito Santana from the Bulldog side to get into the ring and do a running charge and a running forearm, knocking Tito, uh, knocking Danny Davis off of the apron onto the floor. That ended up getting a huge, huge crowd pop. Davey Boy Smith is able to finally work his way over to his corner. He ends up tagging Dynamite Kid. 
both men are in the ring, both the Bulldogs. Davy Boy Smith ends up press slamming Dynamite up into the air and kind of rocket launches him, tosses him towards Anvil to hit like a high crossbody onto Anvil. And uh, that crossbody is effective as Dynamite Kid's on top of the anvil and the referee goes for the pinfall count, one, two, three, and the crowd just absolutely erupts because they just saw the second fall in a two out of three fall match being won by a pinfall by the British Bulldogs. And the crowd, everyone's going nuts. The Bulldogs are celebrating Tito, super happy. And then we see the Hart Foundation slowly work their way over to the timekeeper's table. They grab the title belts. They start walking up the aisleway. And um, Finkel is in the ring, announces the winners in two straight falls as the British Bulldogs, but doesn't announce them as new tag team champions. And Jesse Ventura on commentary says, I hate to be the spoiler here, but the Bulldogs just don't win the titles because of the DQ finish in the first fall. Such a terrible swerve. <laughs> Not cool whatsoever. If they were going to do that, flip-flop it. Let let the Bulldogs win the first fall, and then you got shady DQ uh, so that the Hearts can purposefully save the titles in a kind of chicken poo kind of way, but crazy. Okay. So point that makes more sense here for the second fall, which is why I already got all my other points out of the way previously there. Um, Andre, we did discuss the machines, I believe it was last week's episode and Andre was already being protected then, which was part of the angle. Uh, Andre with Haku in a couple of years as colossal connection is to completely protect Andre. Is dynamite kid being heavily protected here? I ask because he takes a hell of a beating in the second fall or, you know, second part of the match here. And I got to feel like as impressed as I was by the Bulldogs and nothing against them, that Dynamite's best days are already behind him here. Like he, it, it seems like Davey Boy's the worker, Dynamite, do what you can. And we'll go from there. So this is, this is taped again and airs in May of 87. Bulldogs final tag match was Survivor Series 88. So they still have like almost a year and a half really? that they're still working. Nice. I mean, remember, they were the show opener for SummerSlam 98 where they had the tag match with the Rougeos that went 20 minutes uh, to time limit draw. And then they were a part of the tag team, um, ten, uh, the, the five-team versus five-tag team Survivor Series tag match um, where they were with uh, Powers of Pain when that whole Powers of Pain thing in 88 oh. happened. When they did the double switch with Demolition, leaving uh, Powers of Pain joining up with Fuji when Fuji turned on Demolition mid-match. I forgot about that. But, I mean, like, Dynamite, he, he'll he go in, he'll take the beating, which still seems like a protected beating, hit a move or two that he can, and then immediately out to Davy Boy, who I almost called Bulldog, but at this point they both are. Um, It just... I know how good Dynamite is. I've seen other things he just like how much more did he do after leaving wdb and a year and a half from here like you were saying like there must he ends up going back to stampede they end up going back well they go back to like all japan and they tag for a bit and then at one point they go to stampede which was still up and going in the late 80s early 90s and they end up doing a feud where dynamite turns on davy and ends up tagging with like Davy Boy's cousin Johnny Smith 
and they were called another British Bruisers, Bedlam Bruisers tag team up in Stampede for a while where, you know, Dynamite is a heel with Johnny Smith. Hmm. They never know that part. It just, it, yeah. I, when you know how a story ends, I feel like I'm already seeing for, foreshadowing for certain things here. Yeah. You know? His body's breaking down and uh, Dynamite is slowly atrophying and getting smaller and smaller. Yeah. From the years of steroid abuse and drug use Bulldog, and so on. Bulldog. There you go again. David yeah. Boyd is getting bigger and bigger. He's though. getting bigger and bigger. Yeah. It's like, uh, you know, matter cannot be created or destroyed. It can only <laughs> change form. There. One form from the, yeah. So, I mean, Dynamite's best years are behind him. I mean, he, he was a super junior in Japan uh, trying to pack on as much mass to his much smaller frame. Davy Boy had a much better frame to be able to support all that mass. Yeah, it, it just seems like their combined mass is always the same, but as Dynamite's yeah. losing, Davey's gaining losing it, Davey's gaining it, right? It's like he's eating his twin in the womb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little disappointing the end there. I will, I will concur with that. Um, so we follow that up with Mean Gene Okerlund interviewing Hogan, who uh, you know Hawk Hogan does a recap of WrestleMania three. Then we get Mean Gene oh, interview. Wait, wait a minute. You can't. Yeah. Wait a minute. Come on now. What? We have done ten episodes. This is number eleven of Saturday Night's Main Event. Yeah. Hulk Hogan is not in a match. But gosh darn it, Hogan must pose. I'm just saying. And he gets his interview, and brother, Hogan must pose. Well, I was going to bring up the fact that Hogan is actually in a dark match on this card. He is. He tags up with Patera. To take on Uh, Hercules and Andre. Hercules and Andre. So why wasn't that? So when we get to it, because our main event here uh, is another tag match. I I know Kevin is looking forward to it. Um, Hercules doing double duty tonight. Yes. Well, you got all the 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 lumberjacks. They're doing double duty because most of them were in separate matches as well. I mean, we got Steamboat Hercules. You got the Can Am, Sheik and Volkov. They were all lumberjacks, and then being involved in their matches as well. But um, yeah, special attraction for the crowd. Hogan getting his Saturday night's main event payoff, and there for at least an interview. Not actively wrestling on the main card on the main show, but. Brother Hogan must pose. I was commenting that this whole promo takes place in an art gallery. I, I'm guessing it's the same paintings that Hogan made in his right guard commercials. Turned because, out because anything less would be uncivilized. Turns out he's an internationally known artist and you know he had his gallery show going on. It happens. It happens. Uh, so anyways, we have Mean Gene interviewing Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Um, and that leads us to match number four on the card, which is... Uh, Hercules with Bobby the Brain Heenan taking on Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Um, and they do do an inset of the Macho Man and Liz and Mean Gene watching the match together. Watching the match on a big old TV monitor. What? And multiple times during the match, they keep cutting back to Savage. And there's like tendencies of like you're thinking, oh, is Savage trying to be sympathetic? Is he trying to, uh, you know, gain the respect of, uh, Maybe the fans are, are trying to, uh, does he have ulterior motives? I mean, at one point, it looked like Savage was concerned about the well-being of Ricky Steamboat, only for him to set up for a bigger fate. I mean, I am on the side of Savage there because I'm trying to figure out how to get someone to just stand there and rub my shoulders while I talk. Yeah, well, you know, why do you got to bring up Mean Gene? 
Um, so anyways, what did you guys think of the Hercules, uh, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat match? I wanted to see a heel Hercules, heel Macho Man match. Well, and just to see how that would turn out. The confrontation that they had mid-match when Savage kind of interferes and does a little bit of a distraction to get Hercules to break that full Nelson. And Heenan and Hercules jaw-jacking with Savage. That's uh that's a fun confrontation and I would have loved to see. We we got to see a heel Savage versus a heel Jake Roberts. I kind of wish I, there would have been a Hercules and, and Macho Man match for us to be able to just to see how that would have worked out. I kind of feel obviously faces versus heels always going to be the norm. I feel like if two faces fight each other, it should be rare and it should be kind of like a um, oh, geez, you're the number one contender and I'm champ and we're going to have a, a good, fair match and see who the best man is. But I feel like heel versus heel should happen all the time where they're just like, screw you and I'll step over anyone to get ahead. My point is the title or money. I don't care about you just because we're both bad guys. So, yeah, absolutely. I think a Savage versus Herc, both heels one would have been fun there. Even... Heenan and Elizabeth both outside at the same time could have been interesting. All right. And that brings us to match number four. Uh, educator, why don't you break down this one? All right. So we see the start of the match with Hercules and Steamboat essentially trading blow by blow. Hercules with big forearms or uh, right hands to Steamboat. Steamboat fighting back with reverse knife edge chops. Eventually, we see Hercules ramming Ricky Steamboat into a top turnbuckle. Hercules sets up with an Irish whip. Steamboat ends up doing a baseball slide between Hercules' feet and ends up hitting two standing drop kicks, knocking Hercules down each time. Eventually, Steamboat hits two reverse chops uh, to knock Hercules down uh, and throws Hercules, uh, or that sends Hercules, I should say, through the ropes onto the floor. Steamboat ends up following Hercules down to the floor with more, uh, more reverse knife edge chops and ends up picking up Hercules and giving him an atomic drop on the floor outside of the ring. Eventually, both men get back into the ring. Hercules ends up grabbing Steamboat by the front of his trunks and falling back to drag Steamboat with him, purposefully to get leverage to launch Steamboat into the corner turnbuckle. Uh, Hercules ends up doing an, uh, an Irish whip to Ricky Steamboat and hits a strong clothesline, goes for a pinfall onto Steamboat, gets a two count from the referee. Hercules sets up with another Irish whip, but he ends up telegraphing a back body drop way too early. Steamboat ends up countering with essentially a soccer punt to uh, the sternum of Hercules. We see Steamboat hit a snap nair takeover and a big old chop to the trapezius muscles of uh, Hercules. Hercules ends up battling back. It's a stiff uppercut uh, shot to Steamboat to knock him down. Steamboat does recover, ends up ramming Hercules into the top turnbuckle and hits a swinging neckbreaker, kind of foreshadowing a match he'll have soon with a honky-tonk man with that swinging neckbreaker. Steamboat ends up doing a few chops. Hercules battles back with a big old eye rake and ends up slapping on the full Nelson. And multiple times through the match, we end up getting an inset cut back to the locker room with Randy Savage flipping out, watching on the uh, big screen here. When Savage uh, is watching the part of the match where Steamboat's in the full Nelson, he's yelling about Steamboat, don't give up, don't give up. And then he ends up just taking off and leaving off camera. 
to the point where he ends up coming down to the ring ringside, grabs Randy or grabs Hercules by the foot to kind of like act as a distraction. Hercules ends up dropping Steamboat, releasing the full Nelson, and Hercules goes out onto the floor to confront Randy Savage for interfering in the match. Both Hercules and Bobby Heenan are kind of yelling at Savage. Referee is now out on the floor trying to separate Sir Hercules and Savage from trading blows back to back. Uh, we end up going to a commercial during that confrontation on the floor uh, between Hercules and Savage. When we come back, Hercules from the commercial, Hercules climbs to the top rope, goes for a big splash. Um, Hercules not really known for climbing to the top rope and jumping off. Goes for the big splash, but Steamboat raises up his knees, so Hercules crashes and burns into Steamboat's knees on the big splash. For some reason, Hercules is able to recover first. He ends up bouncing off of the ro- uh, scoop slams Ricky Steamboat and then bounces off the ropes to drop a running elbow. Steamboat is able to roll out of the way. Hercules charges a corner that Steamboat had eventually pulled himself up into to try to lay a big elbow into the corner. Again, Steamboat moves out of the way only for Hercules to crash into the corner turnbuckle. We see Steamboat with a bunch of chops to the exposed ribs to Hercules, working on the ribs from the big splash off the top rope. Steamboat does a corner Irish whip to Hercules. Hercules' momentum causes him to stagger out from the corner where Steamboat does a big old chop to knock Hercules down to the canvas. Uh, Steamboat ends up setting up Hercules in the corner as if he's going to do a corner mount with a big 10-count right-hand fist for the crowd to count along. But Hercules immediately reverses the mount and ends up dropping Steamboat over his knee for a reverse atomic drop. We see Bobby Heenan throw in Hercules' chain into the ring. And Hercules picks up the chain and starts choking Ricky Steamboat with it. And the referee calls for a disqualification. Steamboat is laid out on the canvas, constant choking, almost like a camel clutch-like choke. Hercules just yanking back on the chain. Steamboat is essentially prone in the middle of the ring, face down. And we hear him announced as the winner and still Intercontinental Champion, uh, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. We see Randy Savage get into the ring. He ends up rolling Ricky Steamboat over onto his back, and we're kind of seeing kind of face-like tendencies here where he's kind of looking after Steamboat, you know, questioning his well-being, checking to see if he's okay. The referee starts admonishing Savage, telling Savage to get out of the ring. Savage steps through the ropes, acting like he's going to walk away, but instead he ends up charging up the turnbuckle, climbs to the top rope, and drops the big elbow onto an exposed Ricky Steamboat. And the segment ends with uh, Savage picking up his Intercontinental Championship that was in the ring and kind of celebrating with it like he's going to be a future challenger to Ricky Steamboat. I All right, one, I don't understand... Bobby getting involved in this match. Herc had not lost it. Herc could have still won this match when he comes in with the chain, gets the DQ. It just seems like a rushed finish. If if it seemed like Hercules was definitely down for a three count, if it seemed like he couldn't get back up, if he was about to tap, any number of other things. But at this point, it just seems like he could have possibly still won the match here. And, and then the DQ. Um, I enjoy... And it's rare. I enjoy rivals that have a weird respect for each other. Might not like each other, might not get along or anything, 
might not ever be on the same side, but there's a certain form of respect. And Macho teasing a, a face turn here and just that he doesn't want anyone else to face Steamboat because he wants to. He doesn't want to win the title from anyone else. He wants to win it from someone who challenges him. Like, it's really interesting. There's a... I can't remember the exact wording or what issue happened in. It's an issue of Flash where it's... uh. Wally West has flashed. Barry Allen has died. A statue of Barry Allen Flash is on fire, burning, melting everything. Captain Cold walks by it, uses his cold gun, stops the flames. And someone with him goes, why did you do that? You hate him. You've battled him countless times. And all it says you want to understand because there's a matter of respect. I may not like you. We may always fight, but I at least respect you for who you are. Even though we're always going to fight and argue, I can at least give you respect for who you are, though. And Macho seems to have, like, a certain level of respect for Steamboat. Like, you challenged me. No one else here has. But you did. And that means something. You caused me to up my game, so I want to fight you more. And I don't want anyone else having this fun between us. It's very interesting character work from both of them throughout. I just honestly kind of feel bad for Hercules. This is... a pretty good showing for him overall and it just seemed like he was fodder for the bigger storyline here yeah i like the idea kevin like you said and i and i think you see it nowadays too with the you know the respect thing um you know you saw with us versus sequel quest <laughs> you, true. You, you see it with moxley and kingston um uh, you know we may not get along but 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 i respect you i respect what you do so just a couple of things that are throwing it out there. Um, so anyways, we followed it up with uh, Mean Gene uh, talking, of course, with Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Um, and then we we get Volkoff, the Iron Cheek, and Slick. And that brings us to our money shot main event of the evening with Kevin Hellion. Who puts the man in the main event? It's Kevin Elliott. Who is the king of that nerd content? It's Kevin Elliott. Who has a Patreon to pay the rent? It's Kevin Elliott. Who used to work in a giant tent? It's Kevin Elliott. So, Kevin, we're getting yeah. the Can-Am connection, which is Rick Martel and Tom Zink with... Hacksaw Jim Duggan. It's not really with Hacksaw Jim Duggan, is it? Because he's just sitting in the crowd, right? Yeah, he's just kind of there. He likes to watch. He's just there. Well, he's an official observer. He is this week's official observer. Don't we all like to watch? Um, And and they're taking on, of course, uh, Nikolai Volkov and the Iron Sheik with Slick. So, Kevin Hellions, take it away. All right. Can-Am Connection comes out. Slick cuts a promo with Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov. Yes, if everyone's ready for the party to start the communist party well done slick hacksaw jumps into the ring when nikolai volkov starts singing hacksaw cuts a pro usa promo here jesse uh hacksaw saying you know it's the land of the free and all and jesse with a good counter here well then why can't he sing credit to jesse there i'll start off with nikolai volkov versus rick martell we have a whip and then a flip and then some drop kicks couple of leap frogs and then the iron Sheik. we got a tag in here too iron Sheik gets hip tossed 
Uh, the Iron Sheik kicks Tom Zink, backs into corner, and then into Nikolai Volkov's boot. Sheik hits a big suplex on Tom Zink. Hacksaw in the crowd starts to fire up the fans, get them behind the Can-Am connection. Uh, there's lots of go, you know, USA chants, but no Canada chants here, which is a Can-Man connection. I, you know, got to give equal time here. Uh, Sheik hits a suplex and then a very, quote, sloppy cover here. Only gets two. Nikolai Volkov with a whip, a big boot, and then a uh, oh, big stomp onto Tom Zink's back. <laughs> we got tag, Iron Sheik in. Uh, hits a couple boots to the gut, big suplex, and still Sheik only gets a two count after all of this work. Uh, abdominal sh- abdominal stretch, but Iron Sheik is not able to plant his foot while doing the abdominal stretch. Uh, Tom Zink hip tosses out of the abdominal stretch. Zink bounces off the ropes, uh, hits a big Sheik clothesline. Tom Zink to the outside. Nikolai Volkov puts the boots to him while he's outside. Rick Martel gets tossed over the top. We have a two-on-one attack. It takes place right in front of Hacksaw. There are four sides of the ring to choose from, and this just happens to take place right in front of Hacksaw. It's awful. Hacksaw jumps over the guardrail. The referee is distracted, but turns around just in time for Martel to roll a pin on the Iron Sheik. The heels get mad. Duggan stands there looking dumb, looking down on the fallen Can-Am connection there. The heels, or not, sorry, not fallen Hacksaw, Sheik, and Volkov are in the ring. Can't have connections on the floor. Duggan looks, is still looking dumb, looking down at them. So the heels decide to beat up Duggan. Duggan and the Can-Am connection back in the ring and chase out the Communist Party. <laughs> this has been your Money Shot main event of the evening. Um, educator, anything you want to add to Kevin's breakdown there? I mean, I think the one thing we can all agree on uh, is Kev or is uh, is hacksaw is looking dumb and down? <laughs> yeah, a little dumb. bit dumb and down, I guess. A uh, couple of things from the match itself. I actually was impressed with Sheik's belly to belly suplex on the Tom Zink. Uh, it looked really, really cool. Every time Iron Sheik does his abdominal stretch, why you always get hip tossed out of it, Sheiky? Don't bother with the abdominal stretch. Stop doing it. I don't care that you think you're going to get the extra leverage with your left foot stepping over because you got the big hooks at the bottom of your boots there. Uh, But every time you've put the abdominal stretch, you are always getting hip tossed out. And um, the finish with the match, when were Mart, when did Martel tag in to be the legal man? When did, was she the legal man? Last I knew it was uh, Tom Zink that was thrown out on the floor was the legal guy in the match. I don't get it. Must be because two similar looking guys with white trunks on. It's kind of like the killer bees must be the referee. Couldn't figure out who's who. I will say I, I like this. The, the, the Canon connection. I thought we, I know that we had done the Halloween Havoc series and we talked about Tom Zink as a singles guy not coming off that well. Uh, but him tagging with uh, with Martel, it makes me wonder the what could have been. Um, uh, my understanding is very soon after this is when the big money dispute and Martel or Tom Zink leaving and ends up, you know, kind of abandoning his contract and taking off on Martel and eventually gets to WCW in or goes back to AWA for a bit and eventually goes to WCW late 88, early 89. 
why I'm wondering what could have been. I have a feeling that had this been able to play out more, I mean, and ended up being strike force taking the tag titles from the hearts. I have a feeling that there would have been an awesome feud between the hearts and the can-ams. And I'm just wondering the, what could have been with, you know, Tom Zink being a much taller guy than Tito. It'd be interesting to see how things could have played out. Had Zink's, you know, stuck around. Do you think strike force is positioned better though? Honestly, it's a cooler name. Got Strike Force, Heart Foundation, Demolition, Brainbusters later, British Bulldogs, Can Am Connection. Like it just doesn't have the same punch to it. But they do have twin magic, apparently. This one's approved by the educator. This one's approved by the educator. No masks needed. I, I will agree with you. I did have trouble telling them apart and i actually rewound a couple times i was like i'm not even sure who's in the ring right now i mean i mean zank is taller he's probably three four inches maybe maybe three or so inches taller um you can always tell mark martell's drop kicks look phenomenal how he swings his body throws his hips to get those feet in the air always always impressed with martell um as a singles guy, as well as, of course, in the tag with, with you know, the limited time that we got to see him as Can-Am Connection and also his time with Strike Force that year, year and a half run he had with Tito uh, before he got a neck injury. It was about, about a year injury, uh, before he got the neck injury post-WrestleMania 4. So. All right. And then to end the show, of course, Jesse and Vince end the show, like always. If, if we were going with true main events, the last couple weeks, Savage and Steamboat would have been a great way to actually end the show with a hot angle with, you know, them challenging each other, whatever it might be. If we're going for actual main event, not just, Hey, is anyone still awake at one in the morning? And that's going to do it for Saturday night's main event. 11, another fun show guys. I mean, these are pretty easy to watch. You know what? I could watch these for weeks to come as long as they are still on the WWE network, (laughs) you know? But it makes sense. They're going to be pulled over to Peacock because they're an NBC entity. So maybe I'm sure I'm sure everything will be fine. Everything no will. hitch. Everything will come off without a hitch. We'll be fine. Everything will be fine as always. Um, all right. So, uh, Kevin, we are covering Saturday night's main event 12. Now, educator, we have to discuss something here. I've actually gone ahead and watched the next Saturday night's main event. Uh, so Kevin covers the money shot main event, right? Um, so the last match on the money shot main event is the young stallions taking on the heart foundation. Another tag match. Should we have them cover that? Or what I think is the true main event. No boy. Of Saturday night's main event. Uh, 12 is the video premiere of pile driver. <laughs> Should we have Kevin cover both of them? I say both, baby. Make him earn his stripes. All right, Kevin. You get to cover, not only do you get to cover the Young Stallions versus the Heart Foundation, you get to cover the world premiere of Piledriver, the Coco Beware singing debut. Oh, baby. You excited for next week? I'm I'm a little annoyed right now because our friend Scott has the record, and he got it about five minutes before I walked into the same place. just missed it yeah you remember that one time we went rummage sailing and he 
got that big box of porn before you did because you showed up. <laughs> Would that be the second time you've ever found porn in your life at a rubber sale? <laughs> And you were sniped on it by a few minutes. Huh? The mangler sniped it on you. He did that night. <laughs> All right. So that's going to do it for us from the house show. Educator, anything you want to say to the people out there? Oh, fantastic show. Hanging out with you guys today. As always, thank you to our listeners here. Uh, please go check out the Retro Network and the many offerings that they have. And as always, uh, tune into our Monday show. Turn, tune into uh, next week's episode. Saturday night's main event number 12, baby. Yeah. Uh, I want to say follow me at Maddie Treats on Twitter. Um, of course, you can follow the whole crew at TRN House Show. Uh, thank my co-hosts. As the educator says, this upcoming Monday, I believe it's a hot tag with Kevin Hellions. With a very special guest coming up. So listen to that episode. And then next week, come back for come back for Kevin's money shop. All right, Kevin Hellions, why don't you take it so? Oh, I regret everything this episode. <laughs> Thank you guys for another great show. Thank you to the Retro Network for hosting us. Thank you to WWE Network or Peacock or whatever this week for the content that we watch. Thank you to Richard Reader and Jason Gross for our logo. You can follow us across the internet at TRN House Show. Like Matt said, you can follow him at Maddie Treats. You can follow me online at Mast Library. MastLibrary.com is my home blog. Go ahead and check out the show notes for Patreon merchandise, all sorts of other cool links. And remember those accounts because if you have a box of smut in your garage or shed or attic or basement or your storage area that you want to get rid of dm me this has been a presentation of the retro network